Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Smartcast. You're listening to a Hindustan Times production brought to you by HD Smartcast. Hi, this is Manjula Narayan, National Books Editor, Hindustan Times, and this is the Books and Authors podcast. It's a weekly podcast where I speak to authors who've got a new book out. Hi, so today we have with us Bibek Debroy who's written Inked in India, Fountain Pens and a Story of Make and Unmake with Shovan Roy. Hello. Yes, hello. Thank you for uh, coming on the show. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah. So, you know, this is a fascinating, fascinating book. And like I say, it's stuffed with, uh, uh, stuffed with all sorts of facts. So, um, I, let's start with how did you think of writing it at first? Well, I've, I've always been interested in fountain pens. I myself use fountain pens. I have several fountain pens. Okay. And uh, naturally, therefore, having been interested in fountain pens, I've also been interested in the history of fountain pens in India. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, there isn't any very good account of the manufacture of fountain pens in India, the history. And when I say fountain pens... I mean, not just fountain pens, I mean fountain pen ink as well. I mean, nibs also. So in terms of chronicling that history, I couldn't find anything that was very readily available. And since I'm an economist, I tend to look at everything with that economics lens, the lens of economic policy. And I thought of bringing the two things together, Uh, documented history of fountain pens in India. And this is the first of its kind, actually. And economic policy and how economic policy influenced and destroyed the indigenous base we had progressively Mm -hmm. after independence. While doing this, I realized that in terms of documentation, I needed someone else's help because uh, it was not possible for me to document lists of all the manufacturers. I knew Dr. Shobhan Rai because he had written a monograph earlier. And he's also a collector. He's based in Kolkata. I was in Delhi. I am in Delhi. And occasionally we'd exchange fountain pens. If you remember, like the old stamp collectors, I have two of these. So I'll give you one. Give me one of yours if it's extra. Those kinds of things were happening. And all of this was in the middle of COVID. So I said, all right, uh, let's try and collaborate and get this book together. You will appreciate that it's very difficult for two authors to write a book together because the styles differ. And essentially, it is one author who has to write it. So the text Mm -hmm. is all mine. The documentation that Shobhan has put together is in the appendices, which has a complete listing for the first time, we believe, of all the fountain pen manufacturers in India. So this is how it happened. And there are photographs in the book 
they belong yes. either to my collection or they belong to Shobhan's collection or there is a gentleman who runs a wonderful blog called Inked Happiness, Chom Ganguly, or yes. alternatively, there are fountain pens that belong to Chom Ganguly's collection. Oh, okay. So how many fountain pens do you own personally? I haven't counted for some time. Uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of 1500, maybe a little bit more. Um, and it, this does not mean that I use all of them at the same time. Because <laughs> fountain pens uh, need taking care. So you can't possibly use all 1500 at the same time. Most of them are stored away. I use about 35, I guess. I rotate them around. Oh, okay. Okay, and these are fountain pens, like they're, they're Indian fountain pens, pens from abroad, all sorts of pens. All sorts, all sorts of. I naturally am fond of fountain pens. So mm -hmm. at the risk of bo boring the listener, I, <laughs> I want to say that if you remember the old style calligraphy, you had wonderful variation in the line lengths, the horizontal strokes and the vertical strokes. Yes. These kinds of fountain pens are extremely difficult to get now and that was primarily because of Parker and Waterman, the American companies, which started mm -hmm. offering guarantees. Those mm -hmm. kinds of nibs needed to be flexible and flexible nibs break. So therefore, when they started to give guarantees, the standard default template became one of not having flexible nibs. Mm. Now, to come back to what I am saying, that whenever I want a slight flourish in my writing, it may be a mm. personal letter, it may even be a signature, I need these flexible nibs. And these mm. flexible nibs, of course, there are Indian pens who make them. Um, Indian manufacturers who make them, and of course, there are the foreign ones, but the emphasis here is on flexible nibs. So, I've got a whole set of flexible pens with flexible nibs of various types that I use, flexi meaning stub and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. uh, I often have to write on paper that is not very good. Mm -hmm. These days, the paper is not very amenable for uh, in terms of writing with fountain pens whether it yes. is signing a book or whether it is writing on government files. So I also have a set of pens which have very fine and extra fine nibs so that the paper does not blot the ink. Okay. For those Indian fountain pens are not very good. So all the lot that I have with the entire lot that I have with extra fine nibs and mm -hmm. ultra extra fine nibs, those are invariably uh, sort of foreign. And then there is a lot in the middle. Uh, those I have uh, the so-called foreign ones. I have the Indian ones also. Okay. But it, like it's uh, blasphemy for you to use a, either a ballpoint or a gel pen, is it? Um, it? Well, sometimes you cannot avoid it. For instance, if you're writing a check. Yes. If you're writing a check almost... Uh, by force, you'll have to use a ballpoint pen or a gel pen. Um, yes. That's probably the only exception. Otherwise, more or less, I tend to use fountain pens all the time. Not blasphemy, but I prefer fountain pens. <laughs> okay. Okay, while I was reading your book, you know, the, the book also makes you think about uh, the kind of nibs and uh, the, uh, pens that were in use even pre-fountain pens. 
you know, which, I mean, I don't know, a contemporary leader doesn't even think about, you know. Yeah, for example, the constitution was written one with one of those, uh, yes. three north, three nib. Uh, those were the days of calligraphy. What is a fountain pen? A fountain pen is a pen with a reservoir that stocks ink. Before yes. that, you had dip pens. And hmm. the constitution was written with one of those dip pens. I also have several dip pens. Um, hmm. They're not very convenient to use, but I do have some. Okay. Oh. But, uh, you know, which brings me to that whole chapter about Gandhi's, uh, I mean, sort of Luddite <laughs> attitude towards the fountain pen. Uh, you know, one doesn't think of the fountain pen as the height of modernity, but perhaps at one point it was. And that's what that chapter brings out. So I, 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 would be hesit- I would be hesitant to use the expression Luddite, but of course I know what you mean. You had several such views. But um, uh, I put in that chapter because it's a very useful contrast, the two views of Gandhi and Dr. Ambedkar. They are very useful in terms of contrasts. And many people probably do not know that they had such diametrically opposite views. Uh, People have written about their opposite views on all kinds of different things, but not necessarily on fountain pens. So I thought it would be an interesting chapter. Yeah, it is interesting because it kind of it also makes you think of their uh, of their different positions on many things, but through which is kind of reflected in their attitude unexpectedly towards fountain pens as well. Yeah, so, you see, as an author, you will appreciate you are suddenly delighted with something that you have discovered, yes. and uh, one of my delights in this book, of course, it amounts to a very small bit is about the famous incident of Jalal Nehru and how he was caned by his father because of um, because he t- happened to touch two fountain pens that Motilal Nehru possessed. And <laughs> this, this invariably figures in all kinds of places. And sometimes there are illustrations of fountain pens mm-hmm. which conceivably could not have existed in the 1890s. So I was, I was extremely thrilled when I managed to pin that down. Hmm. Also, like, think of the value of a pen as being so high. You also bring that out, right? I mean, he got caned for it, and then when you look at the uh, look at the value of that pen, you can almost understand why. <laughs> no, no, no. But you should uh, realize that if I buy a really expensive limited edition pen. Um, yes. By the way, for the point, uh, for the benefit of the viewer, in today's prices, those pens, the Swan pens, would be about one and a half lakhs. Yes. Um, yes. But if you are talking about limited edition pens, I hate limited mm. edition pens myself because I think they are unnecessarily expensive. But limited mm. edition pens can cost much more than that. Oh. Right. So it's quite understandable, I suppose, somebody flying into a rage. Yes, for yes, such a yes, yes. <laughs> you see, today, uh, I mean, if, you, if I leave out the limited edition pens, the price range of fountain pens would be from anything between 15 rupees to about uh, 80,000. Yes. So that would be the kind of range. Yes. Yes, which is a big change from what it was earlier, I suppose. Again, for the benefit of the viewer, who may not be that familiar with fountain pens, and until he actually reads the book, 
old kind of yeah. fountain pens were called eyedropper pens. Yes. And eyedropper pens were the pens where you actually put the ink into the barrel. Uh, yeah. People rarely use them now because your hands get stained. So the filling yeah, mechanism has moved either to a cartridge or to a converter, which are. Yeah. Um, uh, Mine is a Camlin. Oh, it's a Camlin. A Camlin yeah. is a is a is a wonderful, wonderful pen. Uh, yeah. Particularly the Camlin Elegante is mm. is a very decent pen, and yes. uh, so is something called Camlin. Camlin Elegante is quite nice to look at, and um, uh, Camlin Aristocrat is mm. a very delightful pen. It's not wonderful to look at. Again, for the viewer, once upon a time, uh, ink was in the form of tablets. Uh, yes, uh, you, yes. You had to dissolve it in water to get the ink. And mm. these tablets used to be sold under the brand name of Horse. And mm. then the manufacturers decided that perhaps instead of Horse, we should call it Camel. Because Camel gives the impression of traveling uh, for days in the desert without water so they changed and capacity and capacity. capacity so they so they changed it to camel and when it became proper ink camel plus ink became camlin i see oh you got included that in the book yes, yes. like a nugget. yes yes it's, it's it's mentioned there somewhere in the book oh maybe it's in the footnotes or something which i haven't got seen okay lovely uh, but you know this thing about the uh, ink tablets. And what there was, uh, there's a picture here. I think there's some tins of tablets. But how would people use them? Like add water. You mentioned they add water yeah. to it. You you uh, put them in uh, water and they dissolve, mm. and then it becomes mm. like a regular bottle of ink which you can use for some time. Oh, I should also say. Uh, that the book for the first time, because it documents history, it for the mm. first time has a section on Dr. Radhikanath Saha, yes, who is the yes. first one to have actually manufactured a fountain pen in India. We are talking mm. about something like 1907. And yeah. uh, I am, uh, at that time, he took patents all over the place, not just in India. He took yes. patents in the United States. He took patents in Europe. And he produced yes. two kinds of pens. Mm. Uh, one was a fountain pen. And the second one was a stylo pen. Stylo mm. is a little bit similar to a ballpoint pen. Not quite a ballpoint pen. And mm. uh, you could unscrew the top. And um, mm. it was an eyedropper pen. You could unscrew the top. And you could decide whether to use the stylo or whether to use the fountain pen. I have a feeling I'm the only one who actually possesses uh, uh, one of those Radhika Nath Shaha Lakshmi pens from 1907. The fountain oh, you pen. do? Yes, yes. The fountain pen, not the stylo. There are others who possess stylos. Uh, huh. I'm the only one who possesses probably an intact uh, Lakshmi fountain pen. There are fragments here and there. Wow. That's that's fantastic, and this man himself is uh, quite a quite a personality. He, from from what he, he, he was a remarkable person, and I hmm. first discovered him uh, when when I am looking for something that has to do with history of anything, not just fountain pens. I use hmm. archive.org a lot, 
and okay. archive.org while i was strolling archive.org i suddenly discovered his 1911 book romance of pen industries that's how i discovered him but oh. while you were talking about capacity um, hmm. the eye drop of pens naturally store more of ink and there's a company based in chennai called mm. gem and company which mm. started production in the 1920s and okay. they wanted to give the pen a certain brand name in the 1920s the world wrestling champion was someone named gama so there's yes, a fashion yes. called beer gama so gem yeah. gem named its pen gama which is the brand yeah. name under which it still sells So one of yeah. these fabulous gem pens, an eyedropper pen, mind you, it's not with a cartridge or a converter, is something mm. called the Gamma Advocate, and mm. it's probably the largest pen that I have seen as a proper fountain pen, uh, and it mm. stores an enormous amount of ink. They probably presume that lawyers need to write a lot, and hence it's called the Gamma Advocate. Oh, I see. There's a picture, picture in the book of the of Gamma yes, Fountain. I think so, and and it actually looks quite hefty. Yes, yes, it looks pretty large. Yeah, it might might be a little difficult for mere mortals to use. Though. Um, <laughs> not difficult, but it, it's many of those earlier pens you see, they were not meant to be carried in the pocket. So the mm. initial pens they did not even have those clips, and some mm. manufacturers today. Uh, do not make fountain pens with clips because a clip covers part of the pen so the, it covers part of the design but anyway so the gamma advocate is a large pen it's difficult to carry it around in the pocket mm-hmm. oh but it's amazing how you, you know even the clip so it it such an evolution that somebody must have come up with an idea for the clip itself yes right the the clip uh, the filling mechanism changed um the the stuff that the pen was made out of changed initially it was made out of ebonite which is a form of yes. hard rubber but ebonite mm. you cannot have uh, beautiful colors ebonite mm. is kind of boring so all the old eyedropper pens they will be made out of ebonite and they will be mm. relatively drab whereas the new fountain pens uh, they are extremely colorful because they are essentially made out of resins the trouble is and this is a point that we make in the book that particularly because of the economic policies um mm. it's not that the usage of fountain pens has died out like you also use a fountain pen but the yes. problem is that most people who use fountain pens today use foreign fountain pens because they are not even aware that indian fountain pens are made and we have a serious marketing and distribution problem Hmm. Oh. Okay. I thought you know the 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 use of fountain pens and the use of writing. I mean, is generally now. I don't know whether it's falling or whether it's just my misperception. But fewer people seem to be writing on paper unless they're you know people like me who really want like that feel of it. You know, everybody is just on their computers and laptops. No, no. So what 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 you are saying is absolutely correct. but within that trend there are people hmm. who still use fountain pens by yes. and large students rarely use fountain pens today unless they happen hmm. to be from the south 
particularly from Tamil Nadu, where often it is mandatory that you use a fountain pen. Um, yes. Most other parts, it is no longer mandatory that uh, students use fountain pens. What hmm. the kind of people who now use fountain pens are people who are prepared to pay 2,000 rupees. Um, hmm. uh, they're prepared to pay 4,000 rupees, even more. So this usage of fountain pens, despite the declining trend, is usage on the part of people who want to establish that they're different. I am oh. different from the rest of you, hence I use a fountain pen. Whether I use the fountain pen or not is a different matter, but I want to carry it around. So there is a market like that. But that market has entirely been captured by the so-called foreign fountain pens. Yes. And that market is also fountain pen as jewelry, which something you've made a reference to, I think. Yes, that, that would be a little bit more expensive. Um, yes. Not the 2000, 4000, but a little bit more. The other thing I think I should say is that mm -hmm. it's a bit like software. Why The reason I'm saying software is sometimes mm -hmm. we buy a software product. And we don't always realize that there is an Indian component that's gone into it because mm -hmm. the eventual software bears the some other brand name. Exactly yes. similarly, sometimes when we buy a so-called foreign fountain pen, we don't realize mm -hmm. that the nib is made in India. Um, if you leave out companies which make nibs only for their own pens, those are proprietary nibs like Sailor, um, mm -hmm. if you leave those out, Amongst the five top manufacturers of nibs in the world, they, three would be German, but two would be Indian. Oh. One of them is Ambitious, based in uh, Delhi, and the other one is Scanrite, based in Kanpur. And people mm. will sometimes not even realize that uh, the nib that, that is there in your foreign fountain pen has actually been made in India. <laughs> okay. And also, by the way, we make some of the best ink in the world. Yeah. So talk about that. You know, the our um, inks, Indian inks, you know. Indian inks are, well, the antecedents of ink in India go back to before fountain pens. The earlier yes. fountain pen, the proper fountain pen to be made in India was Radhika Nath Shaha. So you're yes. talking about 1905 to 1910. Hmm. But the ink was originally used for other purposes. Yes. Um, it was used for printing. So initially, one simply used to use the printing ink. But the printing mm -hmm. ink is not very amenable to usage in a fountain pen because you need a steady flow. And it's very yes. difficult to decide when did printing, printing ink actually become fountain pen ink. With that oh. caveat, the earliest maker of fountain pen ink in India was probably P.M. Bakchi in Kolkata in around in the 1880s. Typically, what happened in those initial years is as education spread, there was a mm. demand for fountain pens and writing instruments. So wherever mm. education spread, wherever there were universities, new universities that were being set up, whether it is Benares or whether it is uh, Hyderabad, uh, generally, fountain pen manufacturing and ink manufacturing started to happen around there. Uh, okay. So, th there's plenty of good ink that was produced. And hmm. even today, 
we have very good ink that is produced in India. For example, Dayton. Um, Dayton is extremely good ink. There is a gentleman in, in Kerala who produces yeah. ink. It's fabulous ink, but he is actually a doctor and he does it as part-time interest. So that's you don't have huge volumes of that ink, but it's great ink. It's called Krishna. Okay. There was an old Krishna Veni. That's not what I'm talking about. This is relatively new. It's called Krishna Ink. There's an Indian company which was uh, set up about 20 years ago. The name does not sound very Indian, but it is an Indian company. It's called William Penn. It's primarily based in um, Bangalore, but you'll find William Penn shops in all kinds of places. So William Penn, a few years ago, bought over Lapis Bird. And okay. sometimes people don't realize that the famous Lapis Bird has now been bought over by William Penn, which is an Indian company. And oh. the famous Lapis Bird ink is therefore Indian now. And a oh. few months ago, uh, William Penn also bought over Sheffers, which oh. is quite remarkable. So the famous Sheffers is now Indian owned. Oh, fantastic. That's a moment. <laughs> you know. And, and um, there, there is something based out of... Uh, Chennai, a Tamil Nadu, hmm. called Brill. Um, yeah. um, Brill makes very good ink. There is a yes. there is a proposition which I found no evidence of that the hmm. more expensive pens are ruined by this kind of ink. I found no evidence of that. And Brill, hmm. although regarded as lowbrow, is very very good ink. And yeah, I. <laughs> and, and there used to be this ink um, made in, uh, started in um, undivided India in the 1930s called Sulekha. So okay. Sulekha has started a production again and does very mm. well in Bangladesh. So if you ask people about their fond memories of ink, it will depend mm. partly on what part of the country you're talking about and partly of the vintage of the generation. Because some will, some will say Camlin, some will say Quink, and some will still swear by Suleka. Yeah, and I, I think I used to use both Camlin and Chell Park, yes, which Chell Park. is also you mentioned. Uh, and you mentioned also that Chell Park now has diversified into other things. Yes, but if you have a bottle of Chell Park, you should preserve it carefully because it will soon become a collector's item. It already is a collector's item in a way. Really? Yeah, Why because, are these? Uh, because Chell Park stopped producing, um, I think, in 2005. Oh, okay. Oh, so there are no, there's no Chell Park ink anymore. I mean, you can't just go and buy Chell Park. On, only, from, just, only from collectors. I see. Oh, fascinating. So don't use your Chell Park, use Brill. <laughs> no, I don't have Chell Park. I use Brill normally. I remember using Chell Park in my childhood. So. You know. no, well, it also depends a little bit on the shade of ink you want. Because if it is Brill, Brill mm. will be the uh, straight and the narrow. It will be the blue. It will be the black. If yes. I want uh, novel shades, then you, mm. I would buy something like Krishna. Because Krishna's colors, shades are uh, remarkable. Oh. So, so when you sh say shades, what, what sort of shades do they have? Like violets and... All kinds of colors, all kinds of colors. There would probably be about, I'm taking a guess, there would probably be about 20 odd shapes. 
So, oh, so, so you would have about five different shades in blue. You'd have different shades in red, pink, uh, and 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 Krishna's colors are spectacular. Something like Daytona also has about thirty odd shades, or certainly twenty odd shades, but Krishna's are really spectacular. Oh, that's superb! You know, one thing I really enjoyed about this book is like how you've put in all these, you know, these facts and these uh, little nuggets. you know which uh, which are not readily available i mean you just a general uh, uh, google will not give you these things like you know this thing about d waldies and company and about the man who set it up a waldie may have played a role in the introduction of chloroform as an anesthetic for surgery before his arrival in india you know so it's like this kind of enrich the reading of this book you know uh, look this book has a lot of research that has gone into it but the yes. intention was not to write an academic book um yes. uh, so therefore it is not peppered with bibliography unnecessarily but technically mm. there is a lot of research that has gone into it but the intention okay. is was to have a very popular style book not make mm. it inordinately long because you do not want to put off readers um yes. so we started with the presumption that it should not be more than it should be about 40 to 45000 words Yes. So somewhere in that neighborhood now okay but now, now let's go to this bit about you know what happened why why did uh, these indian pens lose their competitive edge in the market you know we can go yes well it's it's a it's a repetition of what economists perpetually talk about except mm-hmm. that it's been illustrated with the use of fountain pens at yes. the time of independence and i repeat when i'm saying fountain pens i mean not just fountain pens i mean ink also i mean um, the nibs also uh, yes. so at the time of independence everything coexisted you had the yeah. indian you had the uh, foreign uh, so the consumer had choice mm. the first thing that happened after independence was progressively a complete clamping down on imports yeah. it started with uh, clamping down on imports of uh, of fountain pen ink with very high tariff mm. rates and mm. then a virtual prohibition on imports of both fountain pens and ink except what was smuggled in and there was a special mm. trade agreement with china so some chinese pens made their way into india other than that there was no competition from abroad no fresh competition from abroad so this was the first blow so to speak hmm. you still had domestic competition the next thing that happened was a reservation for the small scale sector hmm. reservation for the small scale sector may meant this was in 1967 reservation yes. for the small scale sector meant they that all new production would have to be from the small scale sector existing large scale uh, units would not be asked to close down but there would be no fresh competition uh, mm. most people did not kn- don't know that in the list of 47 items that were reserved for protection by the small scale sector one of those items was fountain pens so we have the classic economic story now uh import mm. substitution clamping down on protection from abroad yeah controlling protection at home 
So therefore, production mm. almost definitely became inefficient. Mm. Next, we had the Foreign Exchange Regulation Act of 73, which was a tightening up over the Foreign Exchange Regulation Act of 1947. And we mm. know about IBM exiting, we know about Coca-Cola exiting. There mm. were subsidiaries of foreign companies which produced in India. Pilot is one example of that. We had a pilot India. Yes. Not directly because of FERA, but indirectly because of all the else other stuff that happened, pilot exited. Mm. Then we had labor problems. Partly yeah. labor laws, but more importantly, the general environment of labor turmoil, as a result mm. of which there was very large manufacturing unit in Mumbai. It closed down. Sulekha mm. closed down a little bit later. So we were left with no competition, reservation for the small-scale sector, and therefore quality suffered. And then suddenly we had 1991 and the subsequent liberalization, and we faced competition from yes. abroad, imports yes. as well as domestic investments. And mm. most uh, manufacturers could not survive. They had not upgraded their technology. They had a cushioned market. Um, so they saw no particular need to do anything. So they needed to close down. Some of them exited the business altogether. Some of them moved on to from fountain pens to ballpoint pens. Some of them, they turned traders and so on and so forth. There has been a lot of entry. And this is one of the things we stress in the book because people are not aware in the last 20-odd uh, years, there's been a lot of fresh entry. Okay. Uh, the exit is obvious, but people yeah. aren't, unless you're a fountain pen user, you don't necessarily know that there has been a lot of entry in the last 20 years. Hmm. Does that mean that Indian fountain pens can take on the world? Not yet, but at least the promise is there. Uh, not mm. yet, because this is still MSME. MSME means you don't have economies of scale. You, are, you, you cannot spend on marketing and distribution. You cannot uh, crack the e-commerce sites. You cannot crack the large malls. You cannot crack the investments required for improving technology, all of that stuff. But at least yeah. the premise is there that all right. Um, uh, it is not as bleak as it was earlier. Okay. 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 But uh, uh, so you think going forward, like we can have a flourishing uh, fountain pen exporting industry again? Uh, let, me, let me make my response a little bit more nuanced. Okay. Once upon a time, the United States had about 150 fountain pen manufacturers. Do they all exist? They don't. How many exist? Well, much of what is produced in the U.S. is outsourced. It's just branded in the U.S., but let's ignore that. How many are there? Probably about four or five. So I do not expect hundreds of Indian fountain pen manufacturers to compete, sell domestically, and export. But potentially, can I think of four or five which can crack it? And deliberately, because we did not want to impart any bias to the book, 
we have not yeah. mentioned names but i can mm. think of around four or five which potentially can do so uh, they, they've got their design right they've got their mm. pricing right these four or five that i'm talking about they mm. need to crack the marketing and distribution system okay you don't want to name them like even though you you know um well we deliberately didn't name them in the book but mm. uh, but there are two of well let me try and name them since you asked me one of them is something called wazir mm-hmm. wazir is in the range of 3500 to 4500 wazir has a higher range pen i'm not talking about that higher range pen but uh, mm. this 3500 to 3500 to 4500 has the brand name of wazir and purely in passing recently the chess olympiad was held in india for the first time um mm. in chennai and wazir mm. produced fountain pens which were given as gifts to the officials and participants so wazir mm. would be my number one in the list Hmm. number 2 in the list would probably be canrite now the okay. trouble with canrite is canrite has to decide whether it's going to make, make nibs or whether it's going to make pens okay. um canrite um as i mentioned earlier produces very good nibs hmm. it is not very common for the same manufacturer to make both nibs and pens but i had mentioned canrite the third mm. one i'd mention is ambitious which again is a nib manufacturer based in delhi but mm. ambitious has the potential to also begin to make pens okay the fourth one i would mention is william pen because okay. william pen i said it it has acquired lapis bird it has acquired sheffers but it has yes. launched its own brand called penline and pen line is a very decent pen for its price uh, i would also mention click hmm. uh, click has a, a a very good history the younger generation is interested in investing in technology so hmm. i think click can again potentially become a very A, a wonderful wonderful manufacturer of fountain pens okay okay great so so the future is not bleak when it comes to no the future uh, is not bleak you see look if you ask someone abroad mm-hmm. they will mention other names yeah because there are other names which i don't want to mention who are not interested in the domestic market at all they interested okay. in the foreign market they have realized that in the foreign market um, there are some people who buy indian fountain pens and are prepared to pay 10000 rupees and 50 15000 rupees the equivalent of that so they are only interested yeah. in that particular market those mm-hmm. men sell limited volumes in the export market i don't think they are worth 10000 rupees or 15000 rupees they are simply not worth that much i may have them but i don't think they are worth it Mm-hmm. i am really talking about the range of something between um, 1000 rupees to 4000 rupees that mark yeah. which is why i mentioned these particular names okay okay 
Okay, so you know, going back to this thing, early, the the fifties and sixties, you know. Yeah. Why was it that China was given, uh, while everybody else, you know, wasn't allowed in? These Chinese parents were allowed. Why? Why the, the special at that point? The special preference. I wish I could answer that satisfactorily, but at that time in the early fifties, um, mm-hmm. China got um, an unfair deal in many things. So those were the okay. days of Panchashil and Hindi, Chinese, ah. Hai, Hai, whatever. So there were all kinds of things that were done that were special to China. And mm-hmm. at least when we were young. The country was generally flooded with hero pens. Hero is a Chinese brand name. Uh, okay. China originally had just one manufacturing company. It was a foreign manufacturing company called the Wolf Manufacturing Company. Wolf with two Fs. After okay. China became a communist country, Wolf was nationalized, and um, that technically the name of that company is the Shanghai. pen manufacturing company but their famous brand name is hero so oh, you'll still okay. find old heroes floating around um mm-hmm. a lot of people used hero pens in the 50s and the 60s um mm-hmm. hero still makes pens and it makes wonderful pens actually uh, there are problems with chinese um pricing because chinese pricing is not uh, very transparent but one has mm. to say that china has very good pen manufacturers there is hero and there is the ubiquitous uh, jinhao jinhao a, a lot of jinhao is copying copying a mobla copying a parker but jinhao makes mm. very good pens and there are newer designers in um, china something like moonman for example the great mm. design i should also mention that there are some countries which are completely completely new entrants like mm-hmm. turkey who would have imagined that turkey could produce such great fountain pens who could have imagined that taiwan could produce such great fountain pens uh, so mm-hmm. we are no longer talking just about the japanese or the germans um uh, or the americans we are now talking about these that we have to compete with. okay Okay. Okay. There were parts when I laughed also in the laughed. like, yeah, I laughed especially at this bit bit where you said uh, there were these pens were sold also sold in India under various brand names not just Pickwick, Alfieton, Nile and Commercial but under the odd name of Hindu too. <laughs> yes. 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 Um. Uh. We we got an ad. I. think there was a copyright issue with that ad so you may not have actually carried that ad okay but we eventually we did manage to get an ad oh i and and it's a, a hindu spelled hindu h i n d o n english and for people who are slightly older uh, hmm. there used to be an expression called a pen knife um yeah. um uh, a pen knife had that name because originally when the pens were made out of feathers you ah. needed to sharpen the feathers so a pen knife owes its origin to that although mm-hmm. when we were young the thing that was uh, sold as a pen knife was not quite the original pen knife it it, it just 
adopted the name. The original pen knife was slightly bent. Also, in passing, um, in India, earlier, uh, the pens used to be made either of reeds or feathers from birds. Uh, Feathers from birds were mostly used when you used hide as the material. We did not use hide as the material. We tended tended to use, if not paper, it was bark or or some cloth. For those, reed was much more common. The reason I'm saying all that is the word Mm. pen has a Latin origin in penna, which means feather. Mm. And uh, for for example, when we say pakshi for bird, it has the same Mm. origin. So huh. the word pen has that origin in the feather of a bird. I also found it fascinating, you know, when you say that in the north they used, um, uh, uh, you know, the ink was on the uh, on the writing surface, and whereas in the south it was something else. Yeah, I think you mentioned it's smeared, uh, like it's sort of opposite. It, it's scratched into the surface, and then the ink is. Yeah, but that is not sort of our finding. We were quoting from this. Superb yes, book, yes. yes. Yes, yes. No, but it's just, uh, yeah. it's not something one thinks yes, of as yes, a yes, contemporary reader, yes, <laughs> yes. you, know, you know, this yes. uh, difference as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, you, you know, that, I found it very en- enriching, these these sort of things. And, you know, it makes you think about, and in this era, when, like, like when we started, we spoke about how fewer people are using, are writing at all, you know. But perhaps in that you that that's going to change because just using a laptop is sort of i don't know it cuts you off from some part of yourself oh yes it does because i i i think it's not simply a question of handwriting being better i think the quality mm-hmm. of writing also tends to be faster it tends to be better because you tend to slow down and you tend to yes. think a little bit it's a it's a it's a little bit if i may use a completely different analogy There was a day when these uh, modern kinds of digital cameras did not exist. So you used to use film. And when you had used film, film was Mm. very scarce. So you took a much greater time over composing a picture before you actually pressed the shutter. In that sense, you slowed down because you thought about it. Um, Mm. If I'm typing on a keyboard or whatever it is I'm typing on, I tend to work very fast. And sometimes writing just does need you to slow down, which a fountain pen obviously does. There is one thing about the book I should say, though, that both Shobhan and I happen to be Bengalis. And we were going down a path that no one had gone down before in terms of documenting. So it's Hmm. perfectly possible there is a pro-Bengal bias in the documentation. Not deliberate, <laughs> not deliberate, but it's it was it was simply easier to collect the historical material from Bengal. Now I repeat, this mm-hmm. is not deliberate, and I think we've been fairly comprehensive. But it's perfectly possible we have missed out on some. And I hope what this book will do is it will trigger someone else to write a better book. Uh, I don't think they'll be able to better our analysis or our language, but at least they'll be able to better our documentation. I've seen the pen hospital in Trishur. Yes. But I didn't know 
had such a long history and it went yeah. way back. And, yes, yes. You know? Yes. And, and that pen hospitals are, were like ubiquitous at one point in time, perhaps? Was it? Yes, that? yes. Because well, the, the way they started is because they were dealers who started hmm. selling um, foreign pens. So as a customer, yes. if I bought a pen from you, and then I had a problem with that pen, I would um, go to you and say, please repair it. And mm. that is how these pen hospitals started. And since they were repairing it, some of them started making their own pens. But since you mm. raised this, sometimes you get old pens from various places, mm. old pens that need repair. Mm. It's exceedingly difficult to get one of those old pens repaired now. I mean, hmm. one, one reads, so someone has got an antique car, cannot repa repair that antique car because the parts are not available. If the parts yes. are available, the skilled craftsman is no longer available. So yes. uh, sometimes the, the, the pen hospitals are a dying breed. Um, hmm. It's very difficult to find the craftsmen. It's very difficult to find people the newer generation, even when they, these pen hospitals or the equivalents exist, the newer mm. generation is no longer that knowledgeable. Yes, yes. So that that's a, I think you know when I was reading that I was thinking, gosh, this is a, another book in itself. All these people sitting and making you yes. know, manning yes. these pen hospitals. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, the, the trouble is that whenever I've been to them. Uh, I have mm. been on the lookout for old Indian pens. But when I go to these, what do I find? I find it's the foreign pens that they are hawking. And sometimes they're mm. not even very sure of the antecedents of uh, some old pens. Okay, so I could keep talking to you about this because this is a fascinating book. And for, for, for the reader, go out and get Inked in India by Vivek Debroy with Chauvin Roy. It's about fountain pens and the story of make and unmake. It's a fascinating book. It's stuffed, stuffed with, you know, facts and um, uh, nuggets of information that, you know, one that make you think about more things and uh, about to do with pens, inks. It's wonderful, really. It's a great read. And um, it also tells you about the journey of the nation through, you know, the trade and trade in the nation through fountain pen, which is also another fascinating aspect. Thank you so much for talking to me. Thank you for inviting me. It's been a wonderful time. <laughs> okay, bye. Bye. This was a Hindustan Times production brought to you by HD Smartcast. HD Smartcast. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus is central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.